Welcome to Real Recovery Radio. I am your host, Rebecca Bateson, and we are back after a very long hiatus. Uh, we did kind of a summer break thing and moving into fall here, and things are good. Um, I have a great interview for you today with Jamie Lee Finch, and she is a amazing human, also a certified holistic health coach as well. We had a wonderful conversation the other day about... Um, well, I guess you will see, first of all. Yes, we had a wonderful conversation about food, desire, women, spirituality, sexuality, all of that stuff. Um, I apologize, the first part of this interview was cut off, so you'll have to kind of use your imagination with intros, but I basically ask her what her story is and what takes her to her journey of recovery and what gives her interest in the recovery of her own self and other women. So without further ado, um, please enjoy this interview. Um, you could always find us here online at Real Recovery Radio. You can uh, drop us an email at Real Recovery Radio Podcast, and you can hit up me on social media at rbateson at all the social media sites. Uh, I'd be happy to uh, answer any questions, talk to you, hear what you think about the podcast. Also, please subscribe to the podcast and tell your friends too as well. Um, that would be a great help. I hope to have more interviews like this in the future. I have a couple different people, including Katie Berger coming back uh, to talk to about the, the musical full. So she's on the books here. And then I have a couple other people that I'm really excited to interview as well. Cause I just think that's the route that this podcast needs to go because sharing our stories is so powerful as, uh, as Jamie, uh, talks about in this, uh, yeah. So without further ado, enjoy this podcast and have a great rest of your day. And had stayed with for 20 plus years in, because I started having panic attacks at, um, the church that I was going to, um, because of all this unresolved stuff that wasn't coming up. And, and, and I had been, um, prior to that, maybe a couple months prior before that experience, um, I had gotten to a point even within myself and I, and I understand it now, like the panic attacks were a manifestation of something that had, had I had started like dust. I had started kicking up about my relationship towards my own, um, body and my own sense, own sense of self. Um, because I had, started a, I started going through a 12 step program for food addiction mm -hmm. that, um, that autumn before, um, these panic attacks started in, in the winter. And so again, I see that time and I'm like, Oh, of course that makes so much sense. But, um, that experience too, of, of starting that 12 step program was something that, um, I got to the end of my personal rope with the experience of, of feeling disassociated from my own body and, and, um, around this time, two years ago, I, I mean, and I wrote about this once I remember waking up and just wishing I could like slice off parts of myself. Mm. And I think it was, and I don't know what was so specific or special about this day where I just heard myself say that to myself for the first time. And I was like, this is not okay. Mm -hmm. So the 12 step program started, um, I, um, yeah, so it was 12 steps and then the recognition that I had been involved in, in a, in a religious, an abusive religious scenario. Um, then IAN started and then I started changing diets, my diet and habits and diagnosing food allergies and things like that. And, um, then went on a, an actual healing diet to heal my gut. And just all of that to me is like, some of those things might sound like they're physical. Some of those things sound like they're spiritual. Some of those sound emotional, some sound mental. Um, to me, they were all interrelated and all interconnected, um, just on this giant process of, of healing and making space for myself in a way that I hadn't for my entire life before. And, um, it stripped a lot away. I lost like 90% of the people in my life mm -hmm. when I decided to leave church, um, because that, those are my only relationships, um, which then, you know, kind of gets you in this place where you're, um, you, that causes you to take a even more, um, close up look at your compulsions when your relationships start to, mm -hmm. you know, waver as well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, yeah, everything just kind of built on top of everything else. Um, and when I graduated from IAN just this past March, um, felt like, man, I felt like 2015 was just this, um, it was the 
most difficult mm-hmm. and um, most important year of my life because through that process over and over and over and over, whether it was with my own body, whether it was in my personal relationships, whether it was my spiritual belief, whether it was my jobs on more than one occasion, um, this process of tearing down, rebuilding, tearing down, rebuilding, mm-hmm. tearing down and rebuilding over and over. Um, I got myself to this place where I was like, I, I need, I, I don't know what it is, but I need, I need to keep going because I, I know that I'm not the only person that's experienced this. Sure. Um, and so I want, I want to keep learning as much as I can about, um, you know, and this is, we, we spoke a little bit before, which I'm sure mm-hmm. I'll get into, but the psychological impact there with how I was raised and how that informed the way that I view myself now. And did that have anything to do with my eating disorder? And, and did that have anything to do with, um, everything else I don't so it was just and does that have anything to do with my relationships and um so yeah just this sense of all these parallels but it absolutely first came with um taking the steps to I don't I mean I using the word diagnose sounds strange but um Mm -hmm. to to notice um and then to name and then to release within myself um the things that weren't correct for me and the things that were harming me Um, And a lot of that did have to do with my own perception towards my own body and then food addiction and compulsive eating and, and, you know, history, background of, of anorexia, bulimia, things like Mm -hmm. that as well. So, yeah, I think I, I was telling you, I personally relate to that a lot growing up uh, in the church and growing up as a pastor's daughter times two. And Mm -hmm. I even, I even had my mom on the podcast, uh, I think a couple episodes back and we kind of talked about the whole route uh that she and the emotions she was going through as a parent with somebody who was suffering from eating disorder but um and with all that being said you were talking some about um meeting a lot of people who who do have your kind of same same story especially considering where you live you said in the bible belt that you've Mm -hmm. met a lot of women who kind of or or do almost mirror what your what you what your story is can you talk a little yeah. bit about that and also maybe how you're trying to inform yourself more about this? Because I don't, because my, me personally, this is, I maybe knew about this on a very, very surface level, but I have, this is the first time I've heard about anything like this. And it's honestly something I've never quite thought about other than uh, maybe when I lost my virginity. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a, so if you want to ex, you know, expand on that, that'd be great. I think that'd be helpful. Yeah. Um, so for me, um, well, first of all, I'll say this, it's interesting. Um, like I told you, like in the last month that I've just been like reading these books and writing this stuff, anytime I'm out in public and I, I, I like, I'm, I'm, this is something I've had to train myself in mm-hmm. to doing as well is the fact that I am to a fault, this human that will prioritize projects over people. And it's not some, it's not great. And so I have to like, I've learned um, that whenever a woman asks me a question about what I'm studying, like close your damn book, like <laughs> you're talk right. to them because this is why you're doing this. When normally I'm like, perceive it as, you know, interruption as an inconvenience because I'm trying to get my work done. And I was like, the person in front of me is my work. Like that is my work. So Surely. yeah. Um, yeah. And so it's interesting because what you just said is, is what I've heard from every woman that I've, I've made that space for to have that conversation with, which is like, I haven't really thought about it this way before. And that I think is, is almost like a symptom of the same problem is the fact that like, we don't even have the permission to understand that the things that could be going on within us might have something to do with the fact that we were taught something incorrectly about ourselves. Like we don't Mm -hmm. even have the permission to draw those parallels there um, or to begin to, or just almost like our culture doesn't, doesn't hold the space for us to give ourselves that permission to start like critically thinking about our actions and habits Mm -hmm. um, in a manner where we can heal ourselves. Um, because yeah, it is this, it, it's just over and over and over. It's like every woman's like, oh yeah, I was raised this way and I had this experience and I was taught this about myself, but I never thought that that might have something to do with this. And I'm like, yeah, me either. Isn't it <laughs> insane? Like, that's insane that, that we are that disconnected right. from ourselves and our, and our own body's wisdom, uh, where she's trying to tell us what the truth is and what's going on. And, and we haven't been taught how to hear. 
Um, so yeah, so I, man, it's, it's hard to even know exactly where it, it began for me. I think, um, in, in wanting to investigate my suspicion about there being a link between religious sexual suppression, purity culture, things like that, virginity culture, um, upholding this like mm-hmm. idea that isn't even scientifically valid about right. virginity. It's not even a thing. It's not measurable in any way. Um, I think in, in wanting to find a link between that and then um, body disassociation, which leads to addiction and compulsion and mm-hmm. things like that. Um, it, I think it might've just started with, I mean, like most things that started with my own experience and um, in the process of healing my body, I became better connected to my body and I started to hear her mm. talk to me about some stuff. Mm. Um, and I started to ask, I think it, I think it started with just my question about hunger, right. about appetite mm. in general. And um, like being a woman and having, you know, living with yeah Yeah. and yeah and living with these like natural normal desires think (laughs) about it this like idea of like food and hunger with food like we are terrified of it Mm -hmm. a lot of times women like we're terrified of owning our own hunger um and I was like I wonder how that plays into the fact that we the expectations on us as women to be non-sexual that we're terrified of our own hunger of our own sexual appetites and sexual desires and there must be some kind of parallel there and so looking into that and and giving myself the permission and and the freedom to engage sexually free of guilt Mm -hmm. um and it's so fascinating because I I've talked to a number of women and and they'll kind of like whisper when they say this part and I'm like it's cool like (laughs) I get it that's fine where they're like so, and you kind of mentioned it, your experience of like losing your virginity and my, I have the same one in Jessica Valenti in this book, The Purity Myth, which every single human should read. Um, she talks about her experience with that too, um, where she kind of wondered why she didn't feel any differently, even though culture had given her this message that she was supposed to. And now granted, she wasn't even raised religious. Hmm. So for those of us who were, I remember my experience of after I had sex for the first time. I was 19 and I had sex with my boyfriend. It was like a committed relationship. It mm-hmm. wasn't his first time. We talked through the whole thing. It was very consensual, very communicative, very, very everything good. It right. was like, I had a very, I I had a, I had a, and I hate saying I was lucky that that was, yeah. case, but like, let's be honest, I was pretty lucky. But like, I remember literally later that night meeting some friends of mine, um, out for coffee or something like that and telling them and being like, so this is, this is my life now. This is what happened. And they were both, all three of us were like church girls mm-hmm. and I was just really open about it. I don't know why or how or where that came from, but I was like, just, yeah, cool. Like we right. relax, it's fine. It's over and done. And I feel normal. Like I don't feel anything strange. And, um, one of my friends actually said to me something to the effect of, and I'm glad I've mostly blocked this out. I love her, but I think she was just saying what she thought she was supposed to say. Um, sure. she, her communicating, well, you know what this means now. And I was like, no, I really don't. And she communicated this idea of, well, you're going to feel this way now because you didn't wait till you were married. You're, you know, that this means that you're going to feel like damaged goods. You know, that this means right. that there's a psychological impact. There's all these different elements that now you're going to have to deal with. Sorry. And I remember sitting there and being like, am I supposed to feel that way? Cause I don't, I don't, I don't feel that way at all. And almost every woman that I've spoken to about this, it has kind of said that same thing to me where they're like, I didn't feel any differently. And I thought maybe I was broken. Mm-hmm. Or just like malfunctioning because I was raised with this narrative that I was just going to be miserable and destroyed inside after the first time that I had sex. So the first time I like gave my what's, what's from that movie, guard your carnal treasure, and then I gave my <laughs> carnal treasure away or when it was taken or even just this like commodity right. like, mindset of it where it's like something to give or take, which is really crazy. Um, and they're like, I didn't feel weird. I didn't feel different. I didn't mm-hmm. feel less than, but, um, the me trying to fit into a narrative that didn't have space for me anymore because I didn't feel less than is actually what caused my emotional damage. The act mm. of having sex itself isn't what damaged me. The idea that I thought that I wasn't doing, I wasn't like the right kind of woman mm-hmm. because I wasn't feeling guilty is what damaged me. Um, and so 
thinking about that and thinking about that guilt and that shame and that Mm -hmm. damage of, well, there's no place for me now, or I don't feel bad, or I'm trying to resolve my own desires and my own hunger. And I'm waking up to myself sexually. And these are secrets that we have to keep with ourselves and that's stressful. And so we internalize that stress. Um, and that's for my, again, my theory is like, that's kind of where everything else starts to come up with us. And because Mm -hmm. we aren't given the language to own ourselves, own our identities and our sexuality, we don't know where to begin Mm -hmm. in trying to figure out why is my relationship to food so damaged? Why, um, why do I feel disassociated from my own body? Um, why do I have a chronic um, condition or a debilitating disease or some kind of sickness that won't leave me alone mm-hmm. that I've gone to see doctors about and they can't tell me why this is wrong with me. My theory is that all of this begins in the fact that we are not given the opportunity within this culture to know ourselves sexually as women um, or to own our identities um, sexually. And um, I don't know if that's actually even answering your actual question. Oh no, that, that's um. great. That's great though. I, um, I honesty is probably the hardest, but the best thing to do with recovery. I, yeah. I, and I still struggle with it to this, to, to this day. And it is something that I have to, and I think that's that way with, with people with addictions as well. It's like the being, the being honest with yourself part, first of all, and then being honest with, um, you know, people around you. But I feel like, yeah part of that has to do with honesty. If you're being honest with yourself, you're being like, I am, you know, a sexual creature. I have desires. Mm-hmm. I, you know, cause I listening to your story about how you, um, how you lost your virginity. I, I did the same thing. I had a boyfriend, we were in love. I was like, I'm going to wait till marriage. And then where was like, well, screw it. <laughs> Let's just do it. <laughs> and he, I mean, we dated for, I mean, he was, we were best friends. I mean, we were, it was very safe, wonderful, yeah. uh, no regrets. You know, if I texted him today, he would text me back, you know, it's that, right. that yeah. type of thing. Same. Yeah. And I, when it happened, I remember texting my best friend at the time and it was kind of like a weird thing, kind of like getting your first tattoo. I think that's what it feels like. It's like, this is uh-huh. for, this is forever. And right. then, and then the next day you kind of forget about it. You're like, right. yeah. you know, initially the shock is there. You're like, well, that's done. And then you're like, okay, well, I guess. And then if anything, I feel like doing like being learning about my sexuality or, you know, being in relationships, sexual relationships or whatever has helped me in my recovery because yeah, that is, that is, yeah, allowed me to be uninhibited, allowed me to be honest with myself and the other person that I'm with. And yeah. uh, I had a ton of guilt about it for a very long time. <laughs> and I think finally getting into getting into probably like around my late twenties, I think I kind of let all that go. Um, and Mm -hmm. it's been, it's been great because it's like, again, it's that being honest with yourself. It's like, I don't have, again, you said doesn't fit into your, your space anymore. That that, this just doesn't, and like that and who I am and what I want to be. And, uh, I I even still believe that at least on my end, that you can even still be religious and still have that be okay, you know, yeah, absolutely. Um, because I, I mean, if you read the Bible at all, there's a ton of sex in there, first of all. <laughs> sex all over that book. It's all over. It's so dirty. Yeah. You wouldn't let your eight-year-old read that. Um, so, but talk a little bit more about, so how do you feel going forward, especially in this time when, you know, we're having like the second, third wave of feminism or whatever. How do you, mm-hmm. how do you feel like we should, as women go forward in terms of, you know, everything you talked about, like getting, being honest with ourselves, knowing what we want, knowing what we desire, knowing what we crave. I love that word hunger too, because that just means so many things. Mm-hmm. So how do you feel like we should, or at least when what you're learning, how do you feel like we should proceed? Yeah, it's a really good question. Because <clears throat> um, I'm even sorting that out for myself personally, as I'm studying these things and, and doing this work, knowing I kind of have to do it to myself first, if I'm ever going to coach someone through it or speak to anybody, um, or, or, you know, you can't, you can't really take anybody any place where you haven't been. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that here's one thing, here's one thing I think that I, um, 
I landed on this being, I think that's a concrete theory for me, even though it sounds bizarre. And for a lot of people, they might think it sounds, uns- okay, I'm just gonna say it. So, um, <laughs> so for me, going from restriction so raised in this idea of your your sexuality needs to be restricted, whether that's just culture or whether that's religious. For a lot of us, it's both and. Mm-hmm. Um, and for for I would say a lot of us, at least a lot of the women I speak to, it's it's a most of it is the religious identity because the cult because the religious identity too is is part of your religious identity is how you don't match up with culture. It's how like you are separate from culture. And so our tribe is our religious identity. It's, it's our, mm-hmm. you know, our church that we were raised in. And, and because those ideas um, are part of our family as well, assuming because they are raising us in this type of church. Um, so when you're raised with that restrictive um, on the restrictive end of things, um, I honestly believe um Gosh, it's gonna be funny if I listen back to this in like ten years. And like, that wasn't really smart, but um, and and this is you know saying a lot, you know, saying a lot about me too. Just sure. giving some things away is, I honestly believe that in order for anything to find balance, if you're way off on this side, you gotta swing the pendulum over, and and hang out on the other side for a little bit. And so, I mm-hmm. genuinely believe that in this process of reclaiming and finding a healthy sexuality that that is intimate and that is um, um done with your body instead of against or done to your body um that that is filled with joy and life and engaging Mm -hmm. with one or maybe more than one other person depending on what your preference is like i really believe that to find that you actually need to spend some time as you spent so long in restriction you need to spend some time Mm. with um permission um and um a lot of permission and so that was actually a theme for me for this past year um, I had a conversation with a friend, um, but the very, it was within the first couple of days of 2016. And mm-hmm. I had just finished reading Sex at Dawn, which is, again, another brilliant book that everyone needs to read. And um, this friend asked me, um, just point blank, he was like, You don't have to answer if you don't want to, it's fine. But are you comfortable with your sexuality? And I said, Not yet. But you have to understand why it's so exciting to me that that's my answer, is because. I'm aware now for the first time that I get to have an answer to that question. And my sexuality is a landscape that I get to navigate and explore because previously you would have asked me that question and it would have been kind of a does not compute because I don't (laughs) get to have an answer to that question because I'm a woman, you know? So um, I was like, no, I'm not yet. And that's what I'm after for this year. And I can honestly say I've had a lot of sex this year, like a lot of it. (laughs) And so, and a a lot of it has been very um, intentionally, to be honest, like, intentionally disconnected sex. I did have an experience, um, with at least one person that was like, it was very connected and very intimate. And that was like, that was actually helpful part of my process too. Mm -hmm. But I've also had a lot of like, just, this just is a physical act that I'm engaging in because I needed it to be that way for a little while because of the narrative that, you know, we come from, which is, um, that it is only meant for, um, whether it's procreation or mm-hmm. only meant to be in a marriage context, I genuinely believe that women need to make space for themselves to kind of fail their way through it, so to speak. That's maybe a really shitty way to say that, but like to make, because that's how you learn to do anything, which oh, is yeah. ironic that sexuality is the only thing that we think that you're supposed to be perfect at it and do it the right way the very first time. Um, and not saying that you need to be like perform perfectly in bed, but like this idea that you, the first time you ever had sex, it should be, under the right circumstances, oh, with right. the right person, in the yeah. right situation, right place, right time. Only man, like only a man and a woman, all of that. Mm-hmm. But everything else in our lives tells us that the way that you learn how to do something or the way that you learn who you are inside of a situation is to try something over and over and over and over. Mm-hmm. And for the most part, you're you're not going to do it very well right at first. And you're not going to know everything you want. And you might have some encounters and some situations that you're like, I'm going to laugh about that later. Yeah. That person was a bad idea. But right. I think that's the only way that you can meet yourself in the middle. And to be honest with you, after um, this, so far, you know, this year, um, what is it now? September? Mm-hmm. Um, so over the last like nine, nine months or so, um, I really, I actually did have a moment with, with my body about a week or so ago Um where I was just sitting and reading through um, this Awakening Your Sexuality book, which is, again, another book everyone needs um, (laughs) uh, by Stephanie Covington. And I stopped right before getting to the section about redeveloping intimacy. 
And I felt like my body was like, okay, um, we're swinging back to the middle now. Mm-hmm. So, um, no more casual sex. And I was like, excuse me. <laughs> and, um, she was like, no, 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 I promise. Like my body, this is my body. Talking yeah. stuff. Mm-hmm. My body was like, no, 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 I promise. I know that sounds terrifying, but like, we're done with that. That was, it was so important that you had that. I'm really proud of you that you let yourself do that. Like there mm-hmm. is no, because I did finally get to a place where I was having sex completely free of guilt in my head and completely right. free of shame. And that was unimaginable to me. Um, but my body was like, okay, we're done with that though, because, um, if you keep going with this and I'm stealing this line from someone else from Rob Bell, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you keep going with this, um, because we're moving into something new now, you're going to turn something that's supposed to be a graduation into a divorce Mm. because it's supposed to be launching you into the next thing because in order to recover yourself, this is supposed to be intimate. This is supposed to be connected, um, for, for me. And maybe that's not true for everybody. Maybe there are people who are comfortable with just casual sex and casual sex only, and that's wonderful for them. Mm -hmm. But for me, I, I know what it is that I want. Um, and my body knows what it is that she needs. And mm-hmm. so rather than it being something I hold on to too long and causing a painful rift, I need to celebrate letting go and moving into the next phase. Um, that's a long way of saying the first thing I think that women need to do is give themselves permission <laughs> yes. um, to have as much sex as they want to with whoever they want to, however they want to, um, in any context, in any situation, whenever, wherever, amen. And and knowing that, like, that doesn't mean anything about the person that you are. And that's what's so insane about virginity culture um, is that the, the moral standard for women is only whether or not they've had sex. Mm-hmm. Thinking of, a, like, a good woman is a virgin. A good man is someone who is kind and compassionate and generous and courageous and all of those things. We don't think about those things. At least I didn't when I was raised inside of this. The only, I didn't think about how brave I was or how um, smart I was or how kind I was to other people when I was thinking about whether or not I was good. I was only thinking about the fact that I was damaged goods because I had masturbated or because I had looked at porn or like after having sex for the first time because I'd had sex, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's insane. And so I think it's really important for us to um, own our own power within that and to give ourselves the permission that we're not waiting for from anybody else to, in, to know ourselves sexually, to engage with ourselves sexually fully knowing too that our, our bodies are going to let us know um, if and when it's time to kind of like, okay, that was really, I'm glad that you let that pendulum swing to the other side because now we're coming back to the middle. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also, obviously the most important thing um, is, you know, in that time period of um, permission, mm-hmm. um, making sure that it's safe and it's healthy. Sure. Um, obviously use protection, obviously get tested, obviously those kinds of things, but that's another element of like taking ownership over your own body and, um, over your own sexuality as being that person who's like, I mean, personally, I carry a condom in my wallet everywhere. And sometimes I'm like, meet people who are shocked by that. I have yet to meet a dude who's intimidated by it, by the way. They're all (laughs) pretty stoked about it. Right. Like sometimes I meet women and they're confused by that. And I'm like, this is me prioritizing myself. This is me staying on my own team. Um, So I think that's a big part of it is allowing ourselves that permission. Um, And then I think the second part is just doing things like this, like having these conversations, Mm -hmm. talking about sexuality in a very free and open manner and naming things accurately, calling abuse, abuse. Um, and, and, you know, obviously calling sexual abuse for what it is, but in this context that I mean, calling abuse, abuse, I mean, calling the way that, um, a lot of our pastors, you know, raised us or a lot of, you know, those nice church ladies spoke to us or a Mm -hmm. lot of our youth pastors who told us that like, it was our responsibility to keep boys from stumbling um, or that like our bodies are dangerous because they have these, this power to make these boys and these men who we just can't expect to control themselves. Like it's on us. Like that's abuse. That's abuse. And we need to call it what Mm -hmm. it is and we need to name it for what it is. And, and the only way that you can begin to heal a wound is by noticing it in the first place um, and by calling it what it is. And so I think the more that women talk to one another, and I think the more that we 
um, stop whispering about the fact that we enjoy sex um, <laughs> and like stop, you know, stop also kind of play into that narrative of like, man, I had so many friends that when they, in the last couple of years, female friends that when they got married, they're, they would, they would talk to me and, and again, it'd be like really hushed and really quiet. Like, that's kind of crazy. Like I thought that, um, he would want to have sex all the time and I would just be, you know, like tired. Like everyone was told me, like what happens to married ladies. Just like, I would have sex all the time. What's wrong with me? It's like, there's literally nothing wrong with you. Like there's nothing wrong with you. And, and calling, calling that healthy, calling that normal. Um, just letting yourself embrace these parts of yourself. And then I think, um, Maybe a, th- a third thing is recognizing the areas where you might need some help. So recognizing mm-hmm. that there are resources and people who are available um, that can walk you through various different types of, of um, reconnecting with yourself sexually and sexual healing. Um, there's tantric yoga. Um, Psalm is Adora. She's incredible. She's someone who does workshops and, and seminars and, and coaches. She, she trains and things like that for, for women to reconnect with themselves. Um, there are people like Stephanie Covington who wrote these books that when you're coming through recovery, it's important to remember your sexuality in that process. Um, there's health coaches like you mm-hmm. and like me and anyone who's come through IIN. Um, some, and there's, so many people who focus on so many areas and there's a large number of those women who, who recognize that sexual healing is a part of that process. Um, there's also trained and licensed therapists who you can go to and talk about these things. (laughs) Who can walk you through, maybe, maybe there's some healing from some trauma you need to go through or something like that. There are resources. And so prioritizing Mm -hmm. your sexual health and prioritizing your identity as a sexual being, as a woman Mm -hmm. is absolutely crucial to that process. And yeah, sometimes that does mean, um, seeking out different, um, seeking out assistance in that process and healing modalities for that. Yeah, definitely. I just like the, the two hand high 10 emoji all the way (laughs) Um, to all of that. Um, yeah, I can, I just, there's like so many things I could just relate to in you saying all that. And I feel like to, so one thing you were t- talking about that I thought about, so like women kind of whispering about like the whole, like just having sex in general or like their sex, sex lives or mm-hmm. anything like going to the OBGYN or something like that. Right. I, I feel like, or even just having sex in general, like, so I've, in my experience, I've worked pretty much exclusively with guys. Uh, Cause mm-hmm. I work uh, in a workplace that has more, more men to women ratio. So it's like, I hear what men talk about and if they're, if they've, if they had sex, they'll tell their buddy, like, hey, I had sex last night. And I feel yeah. like if a woman walked in and did that, it'd be a completely different ballgame, right? Like, yeah. they would just be like, what are you talking about? Like, and I mean, personally, I feel that way sometimes. I'm like, yeah, especially, you know, you're you're feeling it like you you need it and you got it. And you're like, yeah, score, <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, and yeah. Our, Someone our, asked how your weekend was and you're like, Honestly, I had a lot of really good. I did that at my old job once. <laughs> Luckily, it was like a really open environment, oh, and yeah. everyone was like, "Good for you." And I was like, "Thank you," because that's my honest answer. That's all I did this weekend. That's right. It. Yeah, and that's a sign that we need to do more work, right? Yes. Because that's yeah. not because you're gonna get the side eye from somebody, and they're gonna yep. like just be judging you. <laughs> yep. And um, yeah, so that came up in my mind in terms of so um, how. How do you suppose that, like, do you do, like, journaling or, like, how do you recognize what, because you said you, if someone asked you, like, how do you, was it, how do you, how do you feel sexually or how do you, like. Are you comfortable with your sexuality? Mm -hmm. So, like, in realizing that you don't know yet, like, what do you do to kind of listen to yourself or your body and, like, reconnect with that? Because obviously you talked about being dissociated with with that feeling like you're not physically connected to your, connected to your physical self. Like, what kind of work would Mm -hmm. you do to get reconnected obviously we talked about like going going to therapy and getting connected mm-hmm. with a professional but do you journal or you, know, you talked about like yoga mm-hmm. what kind of tools do you have yeah um I have some I have some tools that for me personally I've gathered from other areas and then I have some things that I like developed myself as well um and I I think that any any practice that increases mindfulness is essential. Um, I think yoga is especially, um, 
effective because it increases mindfulness and you're moving. And mm-hmm. so you're getting connected to your body at the same time. Um, and that connecting with your breathing, um, focusing on your breathing, all of it is coming into yourself and, and connecting with yourself and um, returning back to yourself over mm-hmm. and over. So I think yoga is really effective. I think meditation also just strictly meditation, sitting still doing that is really effective. Um, it's interesting. I actually did like just a really simple, like 15 minutes of meditation right before this call. And this memory came up from my adolescence that I had completely forgotten about of a situation that had occurred with a, a, a dude that I went to high school with. Mm. Um, and like just guilt and shame of, of, identity wise of like, well, if anyone finds out that this happened between the two of us, like I'm going to be ostracized. And I never once thought that maybe that same thing would happen to him. Mm. And then I also like remembered in that, in that just 15 minutes sitting there meditating, remembered that the next day, the way that I felt about my own body was like this weird, like, well, I'm proud of it because someone wanted it, but I'm not allowed to be proud of my body because someone wanted to engage with it. I'm supposed to feel guilt and shame over the fact that someone wanted to engage with my body. And so I remember just like, even I vividly all of a sudden remembered what I wore the next day Mm. and how it was in a direct attempt to hide my body because I thought that would make God happy with me again. (laughs) So just, so that's, I mean, that was just from 15 minutes of a meditation, just sitting there. Now, Mm. granted, I have like, um, I did do some EMDR with a therapist and I have had quite a, a, a year plus now of like yoga meditation, things like that off and on. Mm-hmm. So that's not going to happen immediately overnight for no. someone who sits quietly for 15 minutes, but that's the kind of, you got to dig, man. And that's mm-hmm. the thing where developing these practices and digging that kind of stuff's going to come up so it can come out. Um, I'm, I'm also going through Julia Cameron's the artist way. Um, going through, I would say more like stumbling and suffering through through because it's real, even for someone who has been doing both private and guided meditation for a little while now and increasing mindfulness, like her morning pages are, they get you right Mm -hmm. where they're supposed to, because it is this experience of you create the space first thing in the morning and three pages where you just sit with yourself mm. and there's nothing else you're supposed to be doing, which as a woman, we're like, give me someone else's problem to fix, please. Right. right. Um, <laughs> the whole point is to just get to know yourself, so to mm-hmm. speak. And I mean, she calls it a recovery program because it is. And so something like morning pages, which is, you know, just journaling, that's yeah. incredibly effective, incredibly powerful. Um, um, I also had this thing that I developed, which one of my health coaching clients, I told her about it once. And she literally is like, please don't ever make me do that. Cause it sounded so <laughs> terrible. I was like, I'm not, we only work together for six months. So I'm not going to make you do it, but I'm, I'm going to like put this bug in your ear and tell you that it's mm. something that like is terrifyingly effective that you can do at some point. Um, and I call it a mirror meditation. And again, it took me years to get to this point of, of pressing pause on the initial, um, uh, move towards, um, compulsion, um, whether it's binge watching Netflix or binge eating almond butter or any kind of binge, um, Mm -hmm. any sort of addictive behavior. Um, at this point now, if I notice that I've been engaging in that for a little while, or if I feel compelled to engage in that, um, I will turn everything off and, and again, this is so much easier said than done. It takes me usually days to get to this point, but I'll turn everything off. And I will um, go to my room, and it's a very specific process. I stand in in front of my mirror, which I can't see my face in yet, like if I'm standing at it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll close my eyes and I'll kneel in front of my mirror because I know what I'm about to do, mm-hmm. and I know I'm about to look at myself, and I'm like, I'm not ready to see myself yet. So my eyes like have to be closed when I sit there. Or I won't do it. So I'll sit there and I'll have my eyes closed, kneeling in front of my mirror, just breathing steadily, just calming myself down. Um, until I get to the point where I feel ready enough and kind of brave enough and ready to communicate with my body and listen to her and talk to her where I'll open my eyes and I will sit there. And the way that these mirror meditations first started for me, um, because there was so much that I was neglecting within me, um, really, honestly, they just started with whenever I opened my eyes, I just immediately would cry. Mm. And it was important. That was important because I needed to watch myself cry, mm-hmm. which that was the thing that when my client heard me say that, she's like, don't make me do that. I was like, Aww. I recognize that's super intense. But, it is. Um, yeah. But it needed to be that intense because when you watch yourself cry in a setting like that, 
all of a sudden this veil gets taken off or you're yeah. like, why, why is this what I was so afraid of? I'm just crying. I'm releasing energy that needs to be released. Like, mm-hmm. because when you're suppressing that, you're like, don't cry, don't cry, eat instead, or, you know, drink instead, or yeah. do whatever, have sex instead, whatever it is instead, you're afraid of experiencing that emotion. So mm-hmm. you just literally face your fear of watching yourself experience an emotion. And you just kind of watch it like with curiosity and with wonder and with, mm-hmm. um, you know, a lot of compassion. And you're like, this isn't scary. This is healthy. And then yeah. you ask, you just, you, you just ask a really gentle question, literally out loud while you're looking at yourself and you ask your body, you ask yourself, what do you, what are you so sad about? Like, what are you upset about? What's mm-hmm. going on? Um, and then you just let her answer. And so answer out loud. So you're literally talking to yourself in the mirror. It's right. But it's, it's really yeah. great. Um, yeah. And so then you just have a dialogue with yourself. So um, what are you upset about? Well, I feel, um, I feel lonely. Okay. Well, why do you feel lonely right now? Well, because I'm alone. Okay. Well, what is it within you that, that makes you believe that being alone automatically means that you're lonely? Um that you're, you're bound to be lonely. Um, and then you just answer that and you keep mm. going and you keep going until you get to this place of resolution of really, honestly, you'll kind of know you're done when you get to the thing that you are fully aware is a lie. Where you're mm-hmm. like, Oh, I am crying about the, or I'm, spe- I'm experiencing emotion right now about the fact that I'm alone because I believe that I deserve to be alone and that my my inevitable future is that I'm going to be lonely. And there's something really magical about it when you're a processing the emotion, honestly, of that feeling and b staring at yourself while you're doing it. You're looking at yourself and you're like, I don't really believe that about you. That's, that's, that's a crazy thought. That's not true at all. (laughs) Yeah. Not a rational thought. Not a rational thought at all. Um, and so the mirror meditation thing is like real helpful for that. Um, again, obviously that's something like work up Take to it time. maybe work yeah. up to it to get to it um yeah just various different and 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 I would say the last thing um that I've started doing with myself that I my number one thing that I do with people when I talk to them about this whether it's a health coaching client or just like a friend or um because a lot of times and you probably get this too as like a as a health coach or someone mm-hmm. who went through IIN the lines between like coaching and friendship get mm-hmm. blurred often yeah. um which is fine. You, you know, have to have some boundaries about it, but mm-hmm. a lot of times because you care about and you're passionate about it, people want to talk to you about this, those kinds of things. Yeah. Um, and more often than not, they're coming and they're talking to you because they have been trained by an addictive system and by a patriarchal, patriarchal medical model that tells them that doctors know their bodies better than they do. And so they're used to that mentality. And so these women will come to you and, or they'll come to me and they'll just be like, Hey, so this is going on with me. Like a girl did this the other day where she was mm-hmm. like, Hey, so X, Y, and Z is happening and I can't figure out why X, Y, and Z is happening and it keeps happening. It's happened over years and years and I just can't get a handle on it. What do you think? And I'm like, well, I have some thoughts. Um, I have a suspicion about what it is. I'm not going to tell you mm-hmm. what that suspicion is because A, I would want to sit down with you and have more information about like the landscape of what your lives look like. Um, but also the first thing I'm going to tell you is have you asked your body? And, and, and in this situation too, that was the longer thing, but but like earlier in that day, she had asked me something about, she was on like day four of whole 30 Mm -hmm. and she was like, I have this weird thing happening with my mouth and I can't figure out. It was like a sore in her mouth or something. And, and she was like, what do you think that is? And I was like, have you asked your body what it is? Mm -hmm. Cause she knows. Yeah. She'll tell you, (laughs) she'll totally tell you. And I actually can't tell you because I'm not your body. And yeah. so if that was happening to me, I might have a pretty good idea about what it is because she's, she's mine. Like yeah. I'm hers. We belong to each other. Um, but any ideas or thoughts or wisdom, um, or ideas, thoughts, or knowledge that I could give you or insight mm-hmm. into what your situation is pales in comparison to the wisdom that you are already holding in you because you already have the answer. Mm-hmm. You just have to make the space to ask the question and teach yourself how to hear her And that's a big thing that I'm drawing out of this, you know, unhealthy religious sexual suppression is one of the main things we've been taught to do as women, men too, but women especially, um, is we don't get to listen to our bodies. Um, we, we don't know how to communicate with our own bodies because I mean, there's not really a whole lot of space for that being a thing in the first place, but Mm -hmm. then also we're told that our bodies are bad. Um, like I was raised in the evangelical world that anything that was my body automatically equated to sin. So you're not supposed to listen to it. 
-hmm. you're not you're not supposed to feed it you're not literally and figuratively Mm -hmm. you're not supposed to um to validate it you're supposed to shut it down you're supposed to I mean there's even scripture where it's like and I don't remember the context because I haven't read this stuff in a while but where it's like you're supposed to like you know I beat my body I train my body like beat it out of you um a lot of violent damaging language surrounding whatever is happening, the wisdom that your body's holding. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we've got to train ourselves out of that. And again, it's really only by creating the space um, and being really patient with yourself. Cause if you mm. think about um, if you just think about it in the context of uh, like an abused animal, um, if you've ever seen those videos of, of rescued yeah. animals um, where they've spent so much time being mistreated by what like this, this figure in front of them looks familiar to them as, as the, the creature that would mistreat them, the creature mm-hmm. that would harm them. And so even if you have every good intention towards this, towards this animal, it's, it's recognizing you as, as an enemy who's going to mm-hmm. cause them pain. Um, so what you have to do in order to teach that animal that you trust them, you don't rush towards them and hug them and, you know, we'll freak them out and they'll probably bite you. <laughs> um, you need to just occupy space with them gently for an extended period of time more than likely you're going to need to spend time down on their level because they're afraid of you because you're bigger than them. So crouch down and just hold your hand out Mm -hmm. and you wait and you wait and you Mm -hmm. wait and you wait and you don't do anything but wait until they start to approach you. And that's kind of how I began to think of myself, my, my sense of self, my state of being as relating back to my own body is I've hurt her for a really long time. Mm -hmm. She's afraid of me and she has every right to be afraid of me. And the only way that I can teach her that I'm on her team now and that I'm staying here and I'm not going anywhere is to occupy this space with her gently, to crouch down to her level, to hold my hand out and just wait and be gentle until mm-hmm. she decides, yes, you're safe. I'm going to come back to you. Um, and a lot of that begins with just asking her her opinion and asking her for her wisdom and for her thoughts when there's something happening within us that we're trying to understand rather than asking someone else first. I love that. That's so good. That's so good. Um, Thank you. I, yeah, because I'm big on the, the grace piece, giving your body and your whole you know, mental state grace in terms of recovery because that was huge for me because mm. I was so into the perfectionist. You know, it had to be a certain way or else it was no way. And yeah. um, in in recovery, obviously nothing's perfect. And so giving myself the grace to, to mm. be, you know, to be imperfect, I guess. Um, yeah. and then also to understanding, like even just physically, like I, I feel like even 10 years out, I, I cannot do some mm. of the stuff a normal, healthy person my age could do because of 10 years of traumatic stress. Yeah. I, and I feel, and I, and that's just my body being like, yo, I'm, <laughs> uh, we've gone through some stuff and we're a little, little creaky and yeah. there's maybe some things you can't do and that's okay. And just, yeah. ex- or there's just ways that I'm going to respond to certain behaviors, like, you know, whether it be exercise or food or, uh, even like anxiety around social situations and things like that, that because of 10 years of training it to be that way. And it's, yeah. and it's one of those things you're right. You have to like really be super patient with it. And it's sometimes, you know, obviously it's, it's, it's difficult, but if you're doing the work, you know, it's, it's possible to be on the other side of it. Absolutely. Yeah. It just takes so much time. Yeah. And, and, but that's, that's, that's intimacy though, isn't it? Like that's, yeah, it's not going to happen the, overnight. It's not going to happen overnight. Cause it, it can't, cause it, if it does happen, like pay attention to the things that come to you quickly and whether or not you value them, you know, right. and, and the things that come to you quickly or easily. And so we value, if you think about your relationship towards your own body, like a relationship mm-hmm. like you would have with anyone else, um, intimacy is developed over time. And a lot of that is conversing and just sharing space and being gentle and understanding and forgiving. Oh my God, forgiving is a huge mm-hmm. one. Like realizing that I, and again, this, it was, took me a long time, took me a while to process where, um, I, over years of speaking to myself, um, 
angrily or having perfectionist mentality. So expectations on myself that weren't realistic or weren't kind. Um, and then, and then internalizing those and getting angry at, you know, the size or shape of my body or mm -hmm. you know, the fact that my stomach looked a certain way and my arms looked a certain way. Like, you know, you pull one, pull one jangle block and the whole thing comes crumbling down about sure. how you're not enough. And so, um, one of the situations I can remember is, um, last year, I don't know. I don't know what it was. I'm bad <laughs> I remember that stuff, but sometime in the last year of my life, um, something clicked for me one day. Um, I was driving to work and I had just done way too much in that morning, just tried to do way too much, um, get so much done. And I had to be at work at a certain time and I was already running a little bit late. Um, and for a perfectionist, again, that's just like a nightmare. Um, <laughs> and I thought like, okay, I've got, everything's good. I, but I did it all. And I'm only going to be a couple of minutes late. It's going to be fine. I got to the end of my street and this is, this is so funny. I realized I had, cause I made my, I made my lunch, my healthy little lunch. And I realized that I had left so laughable. Mm -hmm. I realized that I'd left my avocado oh, sitting no. on my counter. And I got just disproportionately mad at the <laughs> fact that I had just left an avocado on my counter. I started not kidding Rebecca. I started like I was screaming at myself <laughs> in the car. And I, what came out of my mouth was like how stupid I was mm -hmm. and how this is what you get for thinking that you can do everything. This is what you get. Like, and then it went into this like language of like, this is what you deserve because you mm. can't do everything. And like, it was, I mean, it was abusive. If right. I spoke to anybody else yep. that way, it's abusive um, for anybody. I wouldn't let another human talk to me that way, but I talk to myself like that all the time. And it's something really fascinating about when it goes from just the internal monologue to like, you're screaming at yourself. Mm -hmm. So at, maybe 20 seconds into me screaming at myself about an avocado. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, I heard myself. I clicked in. It was like I showed up to mm -hmm. what was happening and it, I didn't stop right away. I showed up and I heard, I kept listening to myself do it until I was done. Um, and I stopped and I, I was still driving at this point <laughs> and I was like still going and just let it be quiet for a minute. And then maybe another 30 seconds or so, I just breathed and I said, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry, babe. Aww. And I didn't have to say anything else. And like, I immediately felt as soon as I said, I'm sorry, that she was just so quick. She was like, I forgive you. I understand. Mm -hmm. And that, that, I mean, I still just, I don't even know where to put that because the fact that. I, I spent the majority of my life, you know, speaking that way to her, uh -huh. um, talking that way to her, treating her horribly, um, wishing I could, you know, slice off parts of her, like just being angry at her all the time. Um, how quick she was to forgive me mm -hmm. just because I became aware of what I was doing and how I was talking to her. Um, and so I don't remember why I started that story or what you said that made me think of that, but, but, uh, Oh, the grace having grace. For yeah. Yourself. And I think it, it was that thing where I finally, I wasn't doing it perfectly. Should I have been screaming at myself in the first place? No, definitely not. But there, but learning to give myself grace for the process of like, mm -hmm. well, I'm not quite out of the phase where I'm screaming at myself yet, but right. I am in this new phase where I hear myself screaming at myself and I'm quick to make an apology. Mm -hmm. And so infusing grace into how I forgive myself in that process and right. how I feel like my body forgives me. And then just being so grateful in the fact that she forgave me that quickly. Then mm -hmm. all of a sudden this like emotionally negatively, emotionally charged situation just becomes this like giant, like my car is just filled with like this feeling of like grace and compassion mm -hmm. and peace and love and gratefulness. Um, and so that, that's, that's all part of the process. And you have to let those things be a part of that grace. You have to let those sometimes one step forward, two steps back experiences just be there. And mm -hmm. you just say yes to them and you just let them be there and not try and change them and not try and regret them and wish that they hadn't occurred or been something different. So that next time, maybe it's, you know, two steps forward, only one step back. Um, yeah. And maybe it'll be like that forever but it's an evolving relationship. Like you don't see any marriages where people have completely come out of the woods of conflict No, because conflict actually strengthens relationships when mm -hmm. it's done well. Same thing with your body. 
that conflict because this culture is always going to have us in conflict with our own bodies oh, just yeah. always absolutely forever so if we just learn how to navigate that by in a way that i'm not against her i'm with her mm-hmm. like it's not me against my body it's me on the same team as my body against culture against right. what they're telling me i should be doing and the way that i should be feeling about her like i in that in this poem that i wrote about all of all of this like it ends with me saying um this body was the first being that i was given to learn to love mm-hmm. and i will love her if it's the last thing that i do because loving her is the last thing that i will ever do um and at a, certain, a different point in the poem saying like i was born with her i will die with her but everything that i've learned about being a woman in the meanwhile has told me that i should hate her or leave her or surrender her to someone else. And once you start to think about it that way, and you're like, I'm on my own team here. I'm actually on my own team. Mm-hmm. Um, you get to choose her over and over and over by having grace and compassion for yourself while going through um, those processes where you're you're going to fuck up every now and then. And that's totally okay. Because that's yeah. normal. I think we forget often, at least I do, that our body is so forgiving. That really, uh, yeah. you know, there is, we, if you think about all the stuff that we have done mm-hmm. and think about how, I mean, I really, if <laughs> thinking back on it, like I really should just, you know, if this was a person like shower them with gifts and be like, thank you for, for getting me through X, Y, yeah. and Z, getting me through 10 years of yep. just horrible malnourishment and mm-hmm. uh, abuse and things like that. If you know, I would never, I would never have treated my body the way I would have treated any other human. Yeah. And you have to forget because like, I think about where I am now and how I, mm-hmm. I feel healthy and sane for the most part, <laughs> de- mm-hmm. depending on the day. And, sure. uh, <laughs> but for the most part, I just think how gracious and how forgiving mm-hmm. and how I should have trusted my body earlier. You know, wow. if, you know, if you, and the trust was also the big key for me in recovery was like, I just need to, to trust that your body knows you don't, you don't, you know, obviously being in touch with it, but like you can do the thing and just trust that the outcome will be what your body wants. Yes. You can. Oh, that's huge. Right. And that for me was like, Mm -hmm. that that opened so many doors for me when I just kind of realized you can eat the bag of M&Ms and you're going to be just fine. And you can, and, and in doing that, I have obviously this is just like a given with recovery though so much joy because I kept th- thinking about when you what you were talking about how you know even just even just the whole maybe just negative self-talk or these beliefs that we have about ourselves how in those we are just robbing ourselves of so much joy because when you yeah. have when you when you have these expectations or you have you're just you know joy from eating from for, uh, relationships sex all that yeah. And there's so much to be had there. If it, and it's not in a hedonistic way. It's in like a, hey, you're living, you're alive. You're a human. Yeah, you're right. A, you're well, an alive human. <laughs> welcome. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. With, that, with that being said, uh, we, we're coming up on like about an hour. So I don't know. Hmm. Um, is there anything you want to leave people with? And then also at the end of that, how to get in touch with you? Because this has just been... This is probably the, one of the best podcasts ever. I'm going to put it out there right now. <laughs> oh, I'm so excited. So uh, maybe we'll yeah. do a round two at some point, like revisit oh. a year later or something. Holy cow, that would be awesome. I would love that. I just feel like this is, like I said, there's so much work to be done. And mm-hmm. this is conversations. This is a conversation that needs to be happening way more often. Yeah. Yes, I totally, totally agree. Um, yeah. Um, well, thank you, first of yeah. all. Because I love that you're... Um, facilitating these kinds of conversations because they do need to be happening and the more that people like you um decide to have them uh the more women are going to understand that they're allowed to Mm -hmm. and that's extremely important extremely important um so i think what you're doing is so important and so awesome and i'd love to be back at some point yeah um as far as final thoughts um man the theme of my last year which i just like can't get away from um is just this it's a really simple sentence I have to say it to myself all the time um well I guess I have to (laughs) so the theme of my recovery um Mm -hmm. 
has been just stay on your own team. Mm -hmm. Um, that's been a big one. And then I think part and parcel with that is another sentence, which is you're not waiting for permission. Mm -hmm. Um, and so if I was going to leave people with just two really simple to sum up, I mean, do anything with those that you want to write them on your mirror, make them into a mantra, you know, make them your intention during a yoga practice. Um, what you don't do anything with them. I don't care, but, Mm -hmm. um, that's those to me are like boiling down to the two most important things that I have learned through this process is to stay on my own team and to stop believing that I'm waiting for someone to give me permission. I'm not, I'm not waiting for permission. Um, and you're not waiting for permission. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. And, and as far as to get in touch with me, it's funny. I just deleted my Instagram today. Um, so <laughs> I'm not on there anymore. Um, that was a long time coming mental health in a big way. Yeah. Um, but to be honest, I wasn't super active. Um, I was on it anyway. I was pretty passive and I was just absorbing information. And so that was part of the reason why I got rid of it. So best ways to get in touch with me, um, would be Twitter at Jamie Lee Finch. Um, I'm also on Facebook, same name, Jamie Lee Finch. Um, and then as far as professional type side of things, um, as a, you know, as a holistic health coach, um, my, email address my contact for that is my first name jamie at gutinstincthealthcoach.com um so that's a way to get in touch if anyone has any questions or thoughts or wants to potentially would want to pursue maybe um like a health history a consultation or just talking to someone about these types of things um yeah that's where i exist on the internet right on well thanks again so much and um we will be talking to you soon awesome thanks so much rebecca Mm -hmm. bye bye